I'm Dr. Carol Isom Barnes, Leadership and Change Consultant and owner of Experience Leadership. And I welcome you to the Career Couch with Dr. Carol and Friends, where our goal is to support you and your career in reaching your full potential. Today, we are concluding our series on the topic of empowering your life with words in conscious conversation. And we're continuing this series with our guest and friend, Sonia Stetzler of Effective Connecting. Hi, Sonia. Hey, Carol. Glad to be back with you. Thank you. Sonia is a communications coach and consultant. She has been with us through this series. And Sonia, I thank you for returning today to provide advice to our listeners and to help them make these strategies come to life and make them more actionable. So let's jump right in. How can I take all that we've discussed in the last few weeks and use it to advance, say, my career or my promotion? So if I'm a leader of a team, for example, how can I use it to manage employee relations issues? Or if I'm an employee, how can I use these this information to walk into the room and feel confident and ask for a raise? Good questions. And I just I probably want to take these one step at a time because or they're two different uh, contexts in which we want to use conversational intelligence. I think the first step is to come from a place of curiosity. What do they know that I don't? And how can I maintain an openness and develop trust? So again, we want to open up that front part of the brain, the prefrontal frontal cortex. And when we're coming from a place of curiosity, we're asking questions, questions for which there are no answers. So we're coming from a place of discovery, a place of what we call co-creation. There's a couple of other facets of this that I think uh, you need to be aware of is looking at patterns and conversations, perhaps taking a situation and reframing it. So if I'm looking at a situation from this perspective and you're looking at it from that perspective, how can we reframe it? There was a, a picture that I had that I was wanting to put on the wall. And when I looked at, you know, how would it look? Changing the frame made the picture look entirely different. So how do we take a look at conversations and, and reframe them? Uh, could be one tool to put in the toolbox. And that comes from asking a, maybe a different question. So if I feel that I've done a great job with my responsibilities and I've decided, okay, I want to go in and I want to ask my boss for a promotion and, you know, perhaps I have a difficult boss, what would I, would I use specific type of words? Uh, How would I frame it up differently? Because at the end of the day, I just want the promotion. So how do I put that in a different frame? So I think it's important to, A, look at your achievements and are they aligned with the organization's goal? Uh, goal. Um, looking at what you have accomplished and reframing that as contributions. So, and also understanding where your boss is coming from. So typically when we are looking at uh, a promotion, what we're looking at is how have I contributed in certain buckets that the person who is 
has the authority to promote us, where are they coming from and how can I frame my contributions in any of these buckets? Have I been able to increase revenue? Have I been able to decrease costs? Um, Have I enabled my organization to increase market share? Or perhaps the time it takes to get our service or product to market? How perhaps have I been able to retain customers? Or if I'm a leader, how have I been able to maybe reduce our employee turnover? Or how have I been able to mitigate risk or reduce our liability within the organization? So in order to, I think, frame what you're looking to achieve, it's important to understand the person who has the authority to give you the raise or promotion. What are they looking at? How are they evaluated? And how have you contributed to the organization in those six buckets? Because those six buckets are how your manager is probably being evaluated. Is there a certain way that you feel that those items in that six buckets should be communicated? You know, it, it depends on it depends on who your manager is and what they are responsible for and what your level of responsibility has been around. So it might, it's not typically someone is not responsible for all of those six buckets, but there's probably going to be one, perhaps two, maybe even three that they have responsibility for. So if you can frame your ask in terms of how have I been able to contribute to the organization in any one of these six buckets and any maybe two or three, that will help to influence and perhaps garner you that next level that you're looking to achieve. And I think you touched on something that we have not touched on upon in this series is really about, you know, there's different types of communicating. So obviously there's, you know, influencing uh, people. Another is to, you know, inform. And so, I mean, these are just, you know, two different examples, like influencing, persuading, and and, um, informing. And so it, it sounds like what you're saying is taking all of that to the table when you are trying to communicate and ask for something like a promotion. Absolutely. So in my experience, even though you might be informing your audience, there is an element of persuasion in informing. Uh, To give you an example of this, years ago, I was looking for an informative speech for my students to watch that fit that typical pattern of you've got a premise and you've got three points you're making and then you wrap it up. So I found this video, it was a TED, TED Talk, where a gentleman in India, Kamal Mittal, he delivered a, a talk on how to grow fresh air. Quite intriguing. So I listened to watch this TED Talk. And the story behind it is he, because of New Delhi's air was so polluted, he, was, he lost lung capacity. And eventually this was going to lead to his death. So he quickly decided that he needed to do something about it. And he researched and found that NASA took plants, put plants in these rocket ships when they sent astronauts in outer space years and years ago. And so he got this brilliant idea 
And he went to the management within the office complex where he worked, and he persuaded them to put in these plants that produce the most oxygen. And there were three types of plants that he talked about in his video. Well, this, this message was strictly informational. There was no call to action. But the very next day, I went out and bought 16 plants for my house. <laughs> um, to this day, I only have three that are still living. However, <laughs> shows you my, I have a brown thumb, not a green thumb. Um, I'm was, with you on that. Yeah. But there was nothing persuasive about his talk except the message that you can improve the oxygen quotient in your environment through these plants. And I thought that's, that was profound for me because he didn't tell me to go out and buy plants, but just because his message was resonated with me. Yes, I have a value, a high value for health. I want a healthy home. I thought, you know, plants would increase the, the health of, you know, my household members thought I'm jumping on this bandwagon. And I did. So I've really come to believe that every message has an element of persuasiveness. Some messages are more persuasive than others, but you can still be persuasive even though you're informative. And so in that scenario where the person is going in and asking for a promotion, do you feel that that person should lean more heavily on persuasion with a little dab of information or is is it a, you know, one part persuasion, one part information, or what, what do you think? It's got to be balanced. If it's pure persuasion, that could come off as manipulative. You've got to have the data. You've got to have the data to support what you're trying to achieve. But you also have to have a story. You've got to have an example. You've got to have some emotional component that will help illustrate why you are the guide. Your customer is the hero. So how did you take that customer, for example, or how did you take your group? How did they achieve what it was that enabled you to, that you feel warrants the promotion or the race? So if you've got to have a balance of both. You know, I like the fact that you said you have to have a story. And I think that's very important because that narrative that you share really can influence and persuade someone to take certain actions. And so if you just walk into the room with a bunch of data and say, hey, I did this, I did that, boom, I need the promotion, that may not work. But if you have a a story, and everyone doesn't tell a story well, unfortunately, but if you have a story and you can show, you know, the beginning, the middle, and the end of that story and how it started and how you brought something to the table that contributed to those buckets that you talked about at the beginning of this conversation, that's a very nice flow, a very nice story, you know, that would make it hard for, you know, a leader to refute if you indeed did what you said you're going to do. And it also needs to line up you know, with the performance plan, right? Because if you have a great story and here are the results, but these are not the the metrics that we're using in the dashboard, well, you know, thank you for your story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and there's, there's two parts to this. You know, the data allows us to connect on an intellectual 
level with your audience. But the story connects us emotionally. So you really have to have both in order to be persuasive. Yes, you have the story behind. And what I really like about How to Grow Fresh Air story is that he started with the story. He started with, this was a problem. He was losing his lung capacity. He could die. So those were the stakes. They were stakes that were pretty high. So he did his research, did his homework. When the office company brought in all of those plants within his office environment, they did it on the context of, uh, we're going to study this for a year and see what happens. So the results of that particular study that they did over the course of the year, people were less sick. They had less absenteeism. People's eyes were not as red. Uh, people's moods were elevated. Um, as a result of people not being as sick, productivity was elevated. And they were able to reduce their air conditioning cost. So he had some really, I think, significant data that supported the story of how he was able to grow fresh air within his office environment. I think that's, that TED Talk had all of the elements of data as well as story. And I think for me, personally, that's what made it so persuasive. And so the leader, the manager, who now has an employee relations issue, how can he or she use conversational intelligence and many of the elements that we've talked about in this series to manage an employee relations issue? What do they need to be cognizant of? How, do, how should they deliver information? What do they need to be aware of? I think the most important thing is to come with a sense of curiosity. What are the elements that are causing the issue or the challenge? Because they might be sitting on that green stripe of the beach ball and employees might be sitting on the red stripe. What do they see that perhaps I don't? How can we open up a conversation so that I better understand what they're experiencing? And how can I communicate to them from the perspective where I'm sitting? And how can we co-create a plausible solution to what we're facing? So it's, it sounds like you're saying, you know, have an open mind. Absolutely. Yes. Be aware, be aware. I mean, these are some of the things that we talked about. And then I think also practice active listening, you know, because when you have an employee relations issue, and this is one of the things that I've learned from, you know, my days of years gone by as being a human resource manager, you know, there's two sides to every story. And so, you know, people come to the table and oftentimes you've heard one side of the story or you've always, you know, especially if you're a new manager to a department that's already been established and, you know, they give you kind of the rundown of this person is good, this person is, you know, not a good performer or whatever. And so you come to the table with some preconceived notions before you have even met the person. Yes. You know, and so just being able to listen and practice practice active listening when you're talking to that person because they may have a story that says perhaps they didn't get, for example, all the the, um, development and the coaching and the resources that they needed to do a great job. 
Absolutely. And I think we come to the table oftentimes with our own preconceived notions or we, we come to the table with our own assumptions yeah. based on our own experience, our background, that could be cultural as well. So absolutely being open and our brain loves to fill in that gap. When we don't have complete information, that's the story that we create to fill in that gap. And it's, you know, before we even ask questions to find the truth. So being able to let go of our assumptions and and to ask questions for which we have no answers, that gets us closer to the truth and a resolution to whatever the issue has been brought forth. Yeah, I think, it. you know, absolutely. And I think in that scenario, having at least some knowledge of people's cultural backgrounds is also helpful. Watching your own nonverbal communication as well as being conscious of what you are verbally communicating and also trying to maintain a personal touch in spite of the fact that it's an employee relations issue and this person may have really gotten under your skin. I think it's still important to maintain, you know, that personal touch and just have that level of awareness at all times of what you're saying, how it's being received, you know, the things that we've talked about in, you know, earlier episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right that being self-aware is number one, uh, being careful about your own assumptions, number two, and being curious. Uh, because again, there are, as you mentioned earlier, several sides to a story, which we might not have had the opportunity to hear the other side. What come into the conversation as a learning conversation? What do I? What do they know that I don't? And that I need to know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, in that particular you know situation, and so. I, we talked a little bit in maybe an episode two about mindfulness. You know, how can people practice mindfulness? Good question. Start small. We know that we are habitual creatures and we might have, we might be in patterns that A, need to be interrupted. So A, creating that awareness. And it could be through a a 360. It could be through an assessment. It could be just a conversation with someone who knows you. What are they observing? And what is it that you'd like to change? We know that in changing behaviors, especially habits, we need to circumvent our amygdala and we need to start small. So for instance, if you wanted to change, um, and I'm just looking in terms of uh, health behaviors, you know, something for me was um, drinking more water every day. Uh, There are several things that we know that new behaviors are best when you're creating new behaviors, best to anchor them on an existing behavior. So it could be, for instance, um, when you turn on your computer, you take a deep breath. Or I can tell you something significant for me when I was going through my tiny habits training. One of the most, I think, popular 
habits that people around the world wanted to develop was a more positive attitude. And I had the opportunity going through a a small internship where I coached people globally for about two weeks on behavior change using the tiny habits method. And so one of the habits that was created was the first thing that people, most people do when they get up in the morning is turn off some sort of an alarm. So that's the trigger. So the habit recipe becomes after I turn on the, after I turn off the alarm, I say to myself, I'm going to have a great day. Now you might not think that that's going to, it's it's a small, it's, it's tiny. What impact is that going to have on my day? Yeah, I thought, thought the same thing, but I thought I would just try it and see what would happen. Well, within the course of two weeks, it started becoming a habit. I started doing it on a consistent basis every morning. And would you believe every day I did that, I had a great day? <laughs> I, would, I would actually believe that, yes. You know, it kind of surprised me because I was a little bit skeptical, like, is this really going to work? And come to find out, it was, wow. This was so powerful, but it was so small. But, you know, that's something that we we didn't talk about in this series and we don't have time to talk about today. But, you know, the messaging that you bring to yourself, you know, what you're communicating, what are you saying to yourself? Because the messaging that you give to yourself is going to dictate outcomes. Yes. And by starting the day with, I'm going to have a great day. It really set the tone for the rest of the day. So I think my message here is that when you are looking to be more mindful, it's start small. What is something that you can do that creates an awareness or a mindfulness? And starting small over time, if you're consistent with it, the habit will grow. And so for the person that says, you know, I want that seat, I want that promotion, maybe it begins with the tiny habits that you talked about and being mindful of certain behaviors and certain performances and certain activities that that person may do that will enable enable them to actually have the seat that they're looking for within the organization. Absolutely. And maybe it's the conversation. Maybe it starts with that conversation of what does it take? What is the person who is granting or providing that opportunity for the promotion? What do they see? Where do they see I need to go? And how do I change my performance behaviors to meet and exceed those expectations? Sonia, this has been an incredible series with great information. I know that the information that you have provided will definitely support and help our listeners. Is there anything else that you would like to add as we close out this series? Well, thank you for having me on, Carol. This has been an honor and a pleasure to get into these conversations with you. I really feel like even though we were virtual, that we were sitting on that same couch having a great cup of coffee uh, to talk about these things because I think they're important. Well, thank you, Sonia. I appreciate you being here. I know we talked about a lot of different aspects of communication over the last, you know, four weeks. And I just appreciate you supporting the series 
on empowering your life with words and conscious conversation and just having effective communication um, on a personal level and on a business level. I appreciate you sharing your personal stories as well to give us some insight. So, Sonia, where can the listeners contact you for more information on communications consulting and conversational intelligence? They can go to my website at Sonia with a J, S O N J A Stetzler.com, or they can email me at Sonia, S O N J A, at Sonia Stetzler.com. Great. So once again, I thank you, my listeners, for joining us. We will return next week with a new series to support you in reaching your full potential. If you enjoyed our show, please provide a review and rating. As always, I can be reached at carol at experienceleadership.com. <laughs>